Well, we're getting near the end of this series, and you know, I, I don't know. I, I've liked this series. I like that we have our our Charlie Brown Christmas tree here in the in the front, and um, just focusing on just really the heart of the gospel, the heart of of what is right, what is true, and just not overcomplicating it. But I hope, as you know, that just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. And just because it's simple doesn't mean it's not deep. In fact, it is deep. And it's, and it's not easy. But it is simple. And we've looked at these questions. Who is Jesus? And we talked about Jesus being the Son of God and the Word become flesh and the Savior. And we talked about what did He come to do and He came to give us peace with God and that's, that's what our salvation brought to us. It brought us peace with God but even more than that He, he came to, to save us from our sin and to protect us and to lead us and to guide us. He's, he's our shepherd and why did he come? And the reasons he had to come was, first of all, because we rejected him. We rebelled against him. We wanted to replace him. And when we did, we made a mess of everything. And not only did we make a mess of everything, we created a trap that we couldn't escape. And so only he could pull us out of that trap. But he also came because it's always been his purpose. That he, he came because what God was doing when he created everything was he was, he was establishing his kingdom. And he knew that those who would eventually be in that kingdom would be those who believed that Jesus is Lord. And it came from his great love. And what should we do in response? You know, last week we, we talked about what we should do in response. And, and the first thing we said was that we should believe in our hearts, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and that God raised him from the dead. And we talked about just that, those simple words, those simple beliefs communicate so much. And how do we know that we really believe them? How do we know that we really confess them? Well, the Bible tells us our lives will be forever changed. That the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. We no longer look at this world the same way. We no longer look at this world trapped in sin. We're no longer trapped in sin. We're free. And we're not just free to go run crazy. We're free to love the way God designed us to love. We're free to, to live our lives not based the way the rest of the world lives its lives, based on power and survival and acquisition and all of these other things, but we're free. We're free to base our relationships on love, base our life on love. And I'm not just talking about this human, sappy, weird kind of love that, you know, unfortunately... There's the bad mix, and I'm sorry if I'm offending you, of romantic comedies mixed with Christmas. And then you have these Christmas romantic comedies. Um, I try to avoid them, but if you want to watch, I think they play 24 hours a day on the Hallmark Channel. Um, 
It's not that kind of love. But as we've talked about before, it's that, it's that unconditional, sacrificial love that, that loves everyone perfectly all the time, even your enemies, even strangers, people who, who do nothing for you and can do nothing for you. You don't love to get. You love because you have been made to love. It's who you are. Well, we're going to look at the second thing today about, you know, what should we do? And uh, before we, we get into that, you know, um, I got a Christmas gift from the state of Hawaii um, before Christmas. And, and the gift is I get to do jury duty next month in January. So yay, um, yay me. And I think uh, last time I did jury duty, I only had to go for like, like, couple hours and I and I got like six dollars so I'm already thinking wow I can get my wife a really good gift this year for Christmas good six six to ten dollars but I have to go and you know when you go to jury duty and you if you I've never actually served on a jury but if you serve on the jury you know what are you supposed to do well you're not supposed to you know, look at the, the, you know, the defendant and go, he looks evil, so he's guilty. Or, you know, he looks kind of like my uncle, who's really nice. You know, he's, my uncle would never hurt anyone. Or, you know, she said that, you know, she didn't know. So she probably didn't know. No, what are you supposed to do? Well, you all know you're, and you're, you're tasked with that, with that. You're not tasked to bring in what you feel, what your, your opinions are, but you're supposed to look at the evidence. You're supposed to look at the evidence, and then you're supposed to only use that evidence to, to de- determine guilt or innocence on what the person's actually been charged with. But it's evidence-based, and it, it, you know, it has to be, and hopefully none of you have ever been in a jury trial where you're not in the jury, but you're sitting there next to the uh, defense attorney. Um, but if you have, you know, and you know that you're not guilty, what you are hoping happens is the jury is going to base it on evidence. Well... Even though our world has a weird relationship with evidence, you know, when, you know, sometimes to suit its own arguments, people, you know, in, you know will say like, oh, you know, um, I'm going to trust the science. But they don't really mean they're trusting the science. They mean they're trusting the part of the science that agrees with them. Or I, I only want to know the facts. And really, same kind of thing. They only want to know certain facts, the facts that agree with them. My dad, and most of you didn't know my dad, but, but my dad was uh, very famous in our family for going to the doctor. And we don't know exactly what the doctor said. But just to give you some sense of my dad's health, my dad was... You know, he had two artificial hips. He had been overweight most of his life. He was diabetic. 
um, had various other ailments. But he would always come back from the doctor and he would always say, the doctor said I'm in perfect health. What I think, I wasn't there, but what I think the doctor might have said was something like, you know, for someone with all the problems that you have, you know, your health's pretty good. I think that's what he probably said, but my dad only heard the part that said, your health's, your health's good, you know. It's kind of how my dad was. He was always, you know, positive. He always, you know, looked on the, as they say, the sunny side of the street where he always wanted to walk. But he was, you know, ignoring certain pieces of evidence. Well, when it comes to the Christmas story, when we talk about the birth of the Savior, it would be great if people could just hear the story and believe it. But we know that what our world really needs is our world needs evidence. Our world needs evidence that the Christmas story is true. That the Christmas story is, is not just something that was made up and passed down, but that it's true. And when I say true, I want you to understand what I mean. I don't mean they need to know that it's historically true. It is historically true, but, but knowing that the Christmas story is historically true doesn't help someone accept it or believe it. It's not that. It's that the, what is being said in the Christmas story about who Jesus is and what he came to do, that that is true. That what, he's, what he came to do is true. And it's true because you have experienced it. It's true because when we sing Christ the Savior is born, Jesus Lord at, at thy birth, that our lives are the lives of those who have been saved Therefore, we no longer think and act like the rest of the world. And our lives are marked by those who are following our Lord. The world needs evidence. We're going to look that from the very beginning, God has had this way. And, and, and frankly, if God had asked for my opinion back long time ago and he was coming up with this plan if he had asked I might have said you sure that's not a very good plan well Jesus is about to be born when we look in our text here and we're going to see that God shows us from the very beginning what that plan is He's going, to, he's going to announce to the world that Jesus is born. The Savior of the world is born. The Son of God has, has entered into this world and he's going to choose the most unexpected way. And those of you who've been 
I hope, you know, I know some of you have said you've watched the Charlie Brown Christmas. Well, you're going to find this um, passage very familiar because it's the passage that when Charlie Brown in his frustration says, can anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? You know, Linus says, yeah, I can. And then he says, lights please. And he reads. Actually, I'm reading. Linus is smarter than me. He memorized it. Um, So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. By the way, I forgot to tell you, but um, following at the end of this service, we'll have a video playing here and you'll be able to see it online, which is our annual preschool Christmas play. So in case, you you know, reading it in the Bible doesn't work for you, you'll get to see the kids acting it out as, as they do every year. So we invite you guys online to hang around to, to watch that. Um, and if you do miss it here for whatever reason or online, it will be part of the recording you can watch later. But we have this, this story here, and it's kind of a weird story. It's, you know, if, why is God doing it this way? Why are angels appearing to shepherds? Why aren't angels telling everybody? Why shepherds? Why just a small group? Why out in a remote area? I mean, at the end, we, we read that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This was obviously really important to Mary. This confirmed what, what, you know, what the angel had told her. Wouldn't it have made more sense, God, to have the angels appear right there to Mary and just tell Mary? Wouldn't that have made more sense? Wouldn't that have been more encouraging to her? Wouldn't that have you know, created this, this lasting like, memory that, that through the hard times that were going to come, that, that she was going to face as, as Jesus grew, that, that she would know, she would remember this, these moments. 
that as he was even hanging there on a cross, that she would know, she would remember this moment. But no, it doesn't happen that way. So when we look at the text and we want to say, you know, what is the text telling us? Well, the first thing that we see is that God enters into history. God enters into history, and he enters into history to bring salvation. You might go, well, yeah, okay. What's the big, what's the big point? Well, it's huge. Because when you, when you read a lot of um, like stories that come from other religions, they come from other, you know, faiths. Even at this time, there were, there were all these different religions that were coming along. They, they, they try not to be too specific. You see, let me tell you, um, one of the keys to lying, this is for everybody, you know, um, if you want to lie, try not to be overly specific. The more specific you are, the harder it is to lie. By the way, if you want people to believe your lie, be really specific. And people will be like, oh, they must be telling the truth because they're so specific. But it's hard to, to be specific when you're, when, you're telling, when you're telling a lie because the more specific you are, the easier it is to see contradictions. The easier it is for someone to say like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. If you just kind of generally say something, oh, that's fine. If I say, like, what sometimes happens when in these other faiths where they're not talking about, they're not talking about, like, this world and, and history at this time. They're talking about some other realm. And everything's happening in another realm where it's in some kind of, kind of like, nether region or, or some place that... that you know, that's kind of undefined. You know, okay, that's great. It's hard to disprove because you haven't, you know, you haven't been there. In fact, at the time of the, you know, first century, moving into the second century, there were these things called mystery religions. And they, a lot of these mystery religions had myths that talked about a, a savior who was resurrected. It's one of the reasons Christianity was often confused with them and that, um, and then certain proponents, adherents of these mystery religions were attracted to Christianity. But there was a difference. It wasn't the kind of resurrection that was talked about in the Bible. It wasn't historical. It wasn't specific. You see, it's, if Jesus had just died on some remote island, that'd be one thing. But no, he's, he's right there. He's right there in the you know, center of this you know, area that, and you know, up on a hill and, and raised for, you know, for the whole city to see. It would have been in the Roman records. So many witnesses. Because it, it's t- 
talking about history, you know, what we see here is we see the specifics that are being used. You know, look at what the angels are saying on this day, not, not someday, not eventually, but on this very day. This very day. It says the city of David, and they would have known that to be Bethlehem. Not someday, somewhere. Not, you know, today, but we're not exactly sure where. And then it's even more specific. It says, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. You see, there's nothing metaphorical about this. You could look at this and try to find some kind of symbolism. You know, yes, we understand this to, to help us understand the, the humility that's involved, but, but we don't really see like this, this metaphor, these deep you know, symbols that are behind this. We don't see this happening in some, some strange spiritual world, but it's right there in the city of David, this day, you will find a baby. That's the sign. Very specific. You see, as I talked about last week, if we're going to be followers of Christ, what we have to understand is that it's not enough just to think of the natural. We find history, we find specifics, but what we also find is God entering into this history. That's what's remarkable. God enters into history. And I told you last week that with that confession, that belief that God raised him from the dead means that if you're going to be a Christian, you are forever going to believe in the supernatural. You don't have to believe everything is supernatural. You don't have to believe that supernatural happens all the time. But you have to believe supernatural is possible. Otherwise, how is the resurrection possible? Well, here again... We have God entering history. The supernatural is happening. And we know, we know from just the birth stories that that something supernatural has already happened. That Mary has conceived and she didn't conceive in the way that every other baby has been conceived. We know from the Gospel of John that something else has happened. The Word has become flesh. The Son of God has taken on human form. The supernatural has happened. And again, this isn't a this isn't a um, you know like a like an attack on on believing in the natural world. You should believe in the natural world. You should believe that if you you know decide to climb up to the top of the roof here and you probably won't make it, that you should know that you will go and fall to the ground and be hurt. You should know that. 
We live in a natural world. Most of the things that happen are results of natural processes. God himself chooses to work through natural processes. But we cannot exclude the supernatural. God entering history. What is it telling us? It's telling us what the Bible says again and again, that our human efforts are not enough. We can know what's right to do. We can even want to do it. But we will always fail because because there's something about us. It's who we are. We can't escape without God. It's, It's not just because sin was so bad. It's not just because sin had a grip on me. It's because I am so bad. I am the sinner. And we like to talk about sin like it's an outside force because then we think if if Jesus just got rid of that outside force, then good little me that's always been good little me would be able to show the world how good I am. And that's not what the Bible says. The reason God entered history is that is because we were so bad that no matter what we knew, no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't overcome ourselves. We needed to be changed. We needed to be transformed. You see, Jesus didn't come just to save us from our past. Not, our, not just our past sin. He didn't come to just save us from our present sin. He came to save us from all sin. If God just sent Jesus to clean us up and set us right and didn't change us, then we will end up exactly in the same place we were before. We will eventually reject God. We'll eventually replace God. We had to be changed. We are the problem. And that's what the gospel is. Jesus Christ comes and saves us. And he saves us by changing us. And so God enters into history. And my hope and prayer is that most of you who are listening, you already know this. You've already experienced this. You know that, that, that you are not your own anymore, that, that your life has been forever changed, that you have memories of, of from when you became a Christian of, of who you were and, and who you are now. And some of you, as I've said before, some of you have an advantage in a way um, over someone like me, you know, I, you know, I share my testimony. I tell people, you know, I've been in, I, I, I was coming to church since I was a zygote. And I've never known a time, you know, when I wasn't, you know, around Christianity. And I remember, I don't even know, I can't even tell you the year. I know the year I went forward in a, in a revival service and accepted Christ. But I can't even tell you when I became a Christian other than that moment because 
I knew from my youngest days that that I was that I knew and I felt that God loved me and I wanted to know what was the best way that I could love him back and as soon as I found out it was you know accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord I wanted to do it and I did it and I might have been three four five years old I don't know but the advantage some of you have is for me like you know how bad can a four-year-old be how bad can a five-year-old be? I mean, there's, there's not a lot for me to look and say like, oh, you know, I was, I was three and I was trouble. You know, I was hanging out with all the wrong kids at preschool. You know, we were, we were escaping during nap time, going down to the local store, you know, shoplifting candy sneaking back in I mean I can't say that I did any of that kind of stuff so I can't really say like oh I, I noticed this huge life change for me I have to look back and I have to think about what could have been where would I be had I been left on my own but some of you it's different you became believers when you were in high school or you became believers when you were adults and you had a lot of time to screw up your life. You had a lot of time to test all your theories and to realize how empty and pointless they were. You had a lot of time to experience what being trapped by your sin was doing to you. And that you wanted to be different and you tried so many different ways and none of them worked. And then you came to Jesus and your life was forever changed. Some of you know that. But that's, that's the gospel. We're not just joining a club. We're not just cleaning ourselves up. We're not just trying harder. The God who enters into history wants to enter into your life. And that's what happens. Well, the weird part, as we've already talked about, is what we see in verse 8 and then in verses 15 and 16, where God appears to these, these shepherds. And it's, what's even weirder is we don't know any of the shepherds' names. And you might go, what's so weird about that? Well, one of the things we see in the Gospels is we see certain people named and certain people not named. And kind of the prevailing theory is, why do we know some names and not other names? And the answer is that for the readers of these Gospels, those first readers, they would have known the people who were named. It's not simply that the names were lost. It's that the names, if people didn't know who the people were, why include their names? But if they knew, if they knew that that dude who always comes, the guy they called Bart, that guy was blind Bartimaeus, it, it meant something. But if none of the shepherds were around for whatever reason, you know, knowing their names isn't that helpful. So we don't even get like 
shepherds' names. They don't even get their names recorded in the Bible. We don't know who they are. Apparently the early church didn't even know who they were. So they're not going to gain anything by this. And when you think about shepherds, you think like, how credible is the shepherd? Well, let me ask you this. Um, If you hear that someone is reporting seeing a UFO, who are you more likely to believe? A NASA astronaut or some dude who works on a farm and was out late at night? By the way, that's usually who the UFOs appear to. Um, I mean, who are we going to believe? Well, here's these shepherds. Why are you going to believe them? Why would God choose these people? Why not, why not choose the priests? Why not find at least some people that were even respected among, among the truly faithful Jewish people? Why not appear to them? Why all these, these common people? Why not people more powerful, with more resources, more trained, more educated? Why not even some that, that maybe specialized in whatever the first century equivalent was of marketing and advertising? Somebody who could get the message out. Why not? And again, we see what is God doing? God is doing, he's, he's showing from the very beginning, this is the nature of my kingdom. He chooses the humble. He chooses those willing to be honest. He's choosing those who were willing to be faithful and obedient. See, for us, it's, you know, if we don't really understand what God's trying to do, then we often get attracted to the same things that attract the world. You know, we, we, we don't look at the heart. We don't look at the humility. We don't look at whether someone is being faithful to God's word. Instead, we can easily be dissuaded by by just external things. Now let me tell you, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Powerful people can also be humble people. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. But just let me tell you, what are you looking for when you're looking for someone who's going to tell you truth? Are you looking for the most polished, the most educated, the most trained, the most powerful? Or are you looking for their heart? You know, one of the things about being, when I, um, when I taught at the seminary, you know, everybody who's on staff, all the faculty, you know, we all have PhDs. We all have, we, we all have doctorates of some sort. We've all, you know, devoted our lives to studying and everything else. And, and that didn't, you know, really 
mean anything if it wasn't also connected to someone who, who, who reflected the heart of Christ. I got to go and um, on this trip I went up to Fort Worth to meet with you know, some of our Waterhouse speakers, but I also got to you know, talk about you know, one of my favorite professors, and weirdly I never had a class with him. I'm, I met him um, through um, being the, the news director at Southwestern Seminary, and I, I just remember how remarkable the guy's mind was. But I also remember his heart. It doesn't have to be a choice. It can be both. But it better be at least the heart. You see, what we find here is we find that the nature of the announcement is the nature of the Savior and the nature of the salvation. God is going to follow God's standards, not the world's. He's not going to go and try and convince the king. He's not going to go and try and convince the emperor. He's not going to go to the high priest. He's not going to go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's going to go to these peasants, and he's going to go to these shepherds. We have a humble Savior, a humble salvation. And one of the marks of those who are saved is humility. And we see these shepherds, they go. They go and they, and they, they tell. And the reason they're credible, the reason they're credible is because they are faithful. God still works the same way today. Just as he revealed his announcement here through credible witnesses, he does the same today. But how are we credible? If, if, if we're playing the same power games, if, if we're just that you know, miserable hermit that you know, hangs out at the office and never talks to anybody, if, if we're the person who engages in the same kind of you know, joking or the same kind of you know, talking about you know, the boss or whatever else is going on, if we're the same kind of person, are we credible? We spend more time with people that we work with than we spend with just about anybody else in the world. And do they know who Jesus is because of us? Even if they can't name Jesus, do they know that there's something inside of us that is not what they see in everyone else? Credible witnesses. And he does this just, he reveals himself to these credible witnesses, surprise, so that they will go and witness. So that they will go and tell others. And that's what the shepherds do. Immediately, they, they, they get the, the witness from the angels, for sure, but then they immediately go. They immediately go and, and, they, and they do exactly what they're told. And what we find here is on this night, what we find is 
that the people in the story, not all are experiencing God in the same way. The shepherds got one experience. Mary and Joseph get another experience. In fact, there's all these other people that the shepherds talk to. They also get an experience. But what comes from those who are believers, what comes from those who are faithful, is that as they share their experiences, they encourage one another. You know, you you might have heard this phrase before about people who want to be like secret agent Christians or how they want to, you know, keep their Christianity to themselves and but but they're you know they're still willing to kind of be, you know, you know, live a, a faithful life except that. And we always hear about how that's that's bad for, you know, evangelism and it is. Because how are people going to know about the hope that is within you if you're not willing to talk about it? But there's another aspect here. Mary treasures up all these things. Look at what happens. The shepherds are faithful and they speak, and Mary is encouraged. You see, when we're silent about what Jesus is doing in our lives, even among ourselves, when we would rather talk about sports or talk about, you know, shopping or talk about our kids or talk about, you know, work or whatever else we want to talk about, and by the way, it's okay to talk about those things, but when we only talk about those things and we never talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives, we rob each other of the encouragement that we can bring to one another. We rob each other of the strength that we can have as the body of Christ. And it's, it's not always easy to do. I was very grateful, and I know some of you are here, that I heard about this happening and I had nothing to do with it and I was so happy that it was happening and I had nothing to do with it. But there was a group that kind of was taking this seriously a few years ago. And they were, they were getting together. And think about it. We have to be intentional about something that should be natural. That's not a good thing, but it's at least being intentional is something. And they would get together and they would start to share their stories with one another. They would start to talk and, and, and encourage one another just simply by talking about, honestly, about, you know, what Christ is doing in their lives. We need that. We need that. It's one of these words that, that I think is, 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 is so important for a healthy church, and it's the word Transparent. But we live in a culture where people don't want to be transparent. They, they, they want to, you know, they, they, they want to keep to themselves. Are we willing to talk about what God is doing? You see, you're not experiencing your Christianity the same way that I am. I'm getting some experience. You're getting some experience. There's lots of overlap. But there's some things that are unique to you. And there's things that are unique to me. I get to blab up here every Sunday. I get to teach Bible studies and share my story in Bible studies. But it shouldn't just be me. It's all of us. 
And we see Mary treasuring, treasuring. Joseph is there. There's probably other people even there at the, at the manger. Did the shepherds know? Did the shepherds know that they brought a treasure to Mary more valuable than the gold and frankincense and myrrh? Did they know? I don't, I don't think they knew. I think they were just being faithful. I think they were just saying what they had seen and what they had experienced. You see, God didn't save you just so that you could be saved and keep it to yourself. He saves us. He changes us. He does things in us. He does things for us. He does things through us so that we might be witnesses and tell others. So that we might be witnesses and tell others who aren't believers because they need evidence. And the evidence is you. Yes, as I told you, it's a crazy plan, God. Why would you do it that way? Why wouldn't you find some better vessel for your message than me? But it's you and it's me. He does this for us so that we might be witnesses and tell others so that we might encourage one another and strengthen our fellowship. That even if I'm going through a hard time, I'm going through a dry spell, I'm going through, you know, where I I feel kind of disconnected to God, it's encouraging to know you, you are, that you are connected, that you are experiencing things. We're called to bring good news. We're called to encourage one another. What should we do? Tell others. We should live out this faith that we, that we have received. We should, we, should, we should know the new life in Christ that we should experience every day. But we should tell others. Not just keep it to ourselves. And I'm not just talking about sharing with people how to become a Christian. Yeah, that's great. And unfortunately, evangelism has been reduced to that. Evangelism is more than just sharing with people how to become a Christian. Evangelism, we live in a world that demands evidence. And the evidence is what Jesus Christ has done for you what Jesus Christ is doing for you right now. That's the evidence. And we need to tell others. Let's pray.